Wherever cancer is, Hancock Health will fight. In any part of you and in all corners of East Central Indiana. From Indianapolis to Greenfield to Knightstown to Greensburg. From hospital rooms to family rooms, we fight. With technology and medicine. With care backed by the wisdom of Mayo Clinic. For you, for your family, and for your future in Decatur County. We fight cancer here. HancockHealth.org slash cancer. A well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state. The right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. This is the Second Amendment, and this is the Gun Guy. Boom, 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 boom. Bang, 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 bang. Boom, 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 boom. Bang, bang, bang. With Guy Ralford on 93 WIPC. Well, good afternoon and welcome to the Gun Guy Show here on 93 WIBC. We're excited to have you with us. And as always, there is a lot to talk about. We'll talk in some detail about everything that's going on in the Indiana General Assembly. You know, I got into this a little bit last week where, uh, for instance, there's a bill that would amend the Indiana red flag statute to very dramatically very substantially strip due process out of it, make someone a prohibited possessor before they've ever had an opportunity to appear in court and defend themselves. I mean, think about that. Think, think about having your Second Amendment right eradicated before you've ever had a chance to defend yourself. Whatever you're accused of, whatever you're accused of being in terms of whether you're dangerous or not under the red flag statute, before a judge ever hears your side of the story, you can be a prohibited possessor, just like a felon, with no due process. Other than a judge reviewing one side, that is the allegations against you, and on that basis, making you the equivalent of a felon when it comes to your Second Amendment rights. You know, we're going to see, and, and I mentioned it last week, thing that, that breaks my heart is that bill was actually introduced by a Republican. And at the instigation of prosecutors, primarily Ryan Mears, in my mind, trying to create an excuse and a scapegoat for why they didn't institute red flag proceedings against the person who ended up being the FedEx shooter. He was red flag. Cops took his gun. Marion County Prosecutor's Office never filed the proceeding. And now they're saying, well, it's not our fault. We didn't file it. We didn't care enough to try we didn't drop the ball. It was because of defects in the statute. We didn't try. We didn't make an attempt. That's exactly like a guy striking out, looking at three pitches in a baseball game. You watch three balls come across the plate, all three strikes, you struck out. Looking at every pitch, you never took the bat off your shoulder. And then walking back to the dugout going, nah, I had a lousy bat. Does that make any sense to you? My bat was defective. Because of defects in my bat, that's why I never swung it. Does that make any sense to you? That's the argument we're hearing. Oh, well, there were defects in the statute. You didn't try. You didn't take the bat off your shoulder. You can't lay that blame off on defects, quote-unquote, in the statute that never came into play 
because you never filed the action to begin with. And we'll talk more about that. But there's a lot more going on. When you see the bills introduced, again, that one, again, it's heartbreaking to me. It was introduced by a Republican, but there are many other bills introduced by Democrats, as you would expect, to, for instance, repeal constitutional carry and do a lot of other things to dramatically step backward from where we are on the protection, the promotion, preservation of Second Amendment rights in Indiana. And we'll talk more about each of these things. In the meantime, though, and before we get into the what's going on in the General Assembly, let's talk about a case that's gotten a lot of publicity. And I've talked about this on local media. A couple different TV stations interviewed me. Talked about it briefly on Hammer and Nigel here during the week, but there is a case here in Marion County, actually unfolded down in Beach Grove, that got a lot of publicity because a lot of this unfolded as it was being broadcast on a television show On Patrol Live, which apparently uh, follows uh, Beach Grove police officers around. And as part of that whole process, the situation unfolded where there was a toddler in diapers wandering around what looked to me to be outside an apartment waving a gun around. Toddler waving a gun around, pulling the trigger, pointing it at other people, pointing it at himself, including his face, and pulling the trigger. Guns going click, click, click. Guns not going off, thank the Lord. Turns out the gun had a loaded magazine in it, but did not have a round in the chamber, which unquestionably, in my mind, saved this child's life. Maybe saved someone else's life as well. But police are called. Police show up. They go in and they interview the father, apparently, Shane Osborne, 45 years old. And at first, he denies having a gun. because I don't know what you're talking about. There's no gun in here. And they look around a little bit, didn't see a gun. They leave. As they're leaving, the reporting goes. Neighbors came up and said, well, you're just going to leave? And the cop said, yeah, we didn't, we didn't see a gun. Neighbors showed police video from a ring doorbell or something similar. I've got the ring doorbell at home. And by the way, if my lovely wife is, is listening, speaking of ring doorbell, let me take a quick step backward. I got to tell you, as you pulled your car out of the garage, I don't know why, you, you ran back into the garage, then you ran back out. As you ran back out, you had both, both hands, arms up over your head, dancing and singing as you were getting back into your car. And I got to tell you, Mrs. Relford, it was one of the funnest things I've seen in a while, <laughs> watching you dancing with your, 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 your hands over your head. Uh, arms upraised, uh, singing and dancing and smiling as you got in your car. It made my whole day. That, that right there, that, that's a that, that's a benefit of a ring doorbell right there that'll 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 make you a happy guy. Seeing that, but in this case, uh, a ring doorbell captured this little kid wandering around, waving a gun around, pulling trigger. So cops, after they see the the the. the doorbell video they go back in they talk to mr osborne again he still denies having a gun oh no my cousin or i don't know somebody else has a gun I, there's no gun here the cops actually asked the little kid 
who's still standing there in a diaper, hey, man, where's the gun? <laughs> and, and, and a little kid points to a roll-top desk and goes, oh, it's in there. <laughs> and so they look in the roll-top desk, and lo and behold, there's a loaded handgun. Mr. Osborne is then arrested, and the case just showed up here late this week in the in the system uh, where where new cases are filed, and this guy's being charged with two ca- two counts of neglect of a dependent and one count of dangerous control of a firearm. And what I'd like to do here on the Gun Guy Show is because. You know, the issue of children and firearms is is an important one. It can be a sensitive one, but it's something that as gun owners, as people who who value our Second Amendment freedoms, but also want to promote safe, responsible, and legal gun ownership for future generations, we'll talk a little bit about guns and kids. We'll talk about what the law is. And talk about other issues as well. Right now, we're coming up on the quarter hour, so we're going to take a break. As always, we're going to take your calls. By the way, a huge topic of conversation on the internet. Lord knows I've spent a lot of time talking about this on the radio, on TV, and certainly on social media is this uh, requirement now that if you have a former pistol with a pistol stabilizer brace on it, which is an accessory designed to fit over a forearm to help you shoot a firearm one-handed, the ATF has decided that those no longer are exempted from a firearm that's designed to be fired from the shoulder so that if that firearm has a barrel less than 16 inches, it's now a short-barreled rifle that has to be registered as a short-barreled rifle under the National Firearms Act, just like a machine gun has to be registered, like a suppressor has to be registered. And I talked about this for a long time last week. I don't want to spend as much time on it this week, but the discussion, the questions, the confusion caused by this 200, I think it's 295-page final rule that the ATF just put out a week ago. A lot of people have questions. A lot of people are upset. A lot of people are worried about going to prison, potentially, for a lot of legitimate reasons because possession of an unregistered short-barreled rifle subjects you potentially to a maximum of 10 years in federal prison. That's a big deal. And ATF is telling you that after a grace period that applies in this context, that if you still possess that short-barreled rifle and you haven't registered it after that 120 days, you're a felon. And are subject to that potentially 10 years in federal prison. It's a big deal. It's a big deal for a lot of people. The, the estimates on how many pistol stabilizer braces there are out there are all over the board. The Gun Owners of America, and I like these guys. I'm a member of Gun Owners of America. I support them. They've done good things in the courtroom. But their social media, their YouTube channel, they are very prone to hyperbole. They are over the top. They've come out and said, well, there's 40 million of these, or 30 to 40 million is the estimate, in the U.S. We're going to turn 30 to 40 million people into felons. Ah. If you do the math, if the U.S. has a population of around 330 million, do I believe that on average, realizing some people have more than one, some people have several, but do, do I believe that on average, one out of every eight men, women, and children in America have a firearm with a pistol brace on it? No, 
I definitely do not. ATF in its final rule says there's about $3 million. Where do I think the number is? I don't know, somewhere in between. But it's still in the millions. And I got to tell you, you go to a gun range, you see somebody shooting uh, uh, an AR or an AK with a shorter barrel, it, very good chance right now it's got a pistol brace on it. So this applies to a lot of people. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to touch on that a little bit later in the show if we have time. But I will take your questions throughout the show. This is a big deal for a lot of people. A lot of people have questions. I've been all through the rule now. I've been all through the Q&A. I understand what's going on. I also understand what ATF is trying to do, which is just to get more people on the federal registry so they know who you are and what kind of guns you possess. And whenever we talk about registration, what are we always concerned about next? Once they know who owns what, makes it that much easier to come knock on your door and take what they have now decided you can't have anymore. We'll get into all of that as well and continue to take your questions and comments on uh, our uh, studio number when you call in 317-239-9393. We're happy to take your calls 317-239-9393. If you also want to talk about what's going on in the Indiana General Assembly, we we can get into that as well. I'm going to get into some detail on the bills that are pending and that will wake you right up because there's some people really trying to dramatically set us back on our constitutional rights. Right now, we're taking a break. This is Guy Relford on The Gun Guy Show on 93 WIBC. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com. And talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. And welcome back. I'm Guy Relford on The Gun Guy Show on 93 WIBC. We're glad you're with us. Let's talk more about the situation in Beach Grove where a toddler was found walking around in a diaper, waving a gun around. Turns out that Shane Osborne, who's the guy in the apartment, and, and I, I believe, and I'm not seeing anything different than that, it was the, the, the kid's father. If that's incorrect, somebody call us and let us know. Yeah, he was the father. I'm reading a report on it right now. But anyway, he denied it was ever there was ever a gun in the apartment. Cops go back in there, and the, the kid <laughs> drops a dime on his dad and goes, oh, no, the gun's right in there. So they find the gun. What has he now been charged with? It, it, interesting. So I looked this up in the system. The first one is dangerous control of a firearm. And if you haven't heard of that statute before, it's something that I, I talk about in my more expansive gun law class called Comprehensive Indiana Gun Law. And... And it's going to be interesting to see whether prosecutors can make this stick for reasons I'm going to get into here in a minute. But they also charge him with neglect of a dependent. Well, what do you have to prove? What do you have to prove as a prosecutor to prove a neglect of a dependent case? Well, you have to knowingly or intentionally. And this is an important standard. It's called neglect. But mere negligence, merely being a knucklehead, doesn't get you convicted of a crime. 
you have to knowingly or intentionally place a child in a situation that endangers the, the, the life or health of the child. So the question then becomes, okay, if you have a gun in your apartment and you're storing it, keeping it, you have it stashed or don't, wherever it is, that, wherever that gun is, have you done something that knowingly and intentionally places a child in a situation that endangers the child? Because being a knucklehead isn't enough to get you commit to get you convicted of a felony. This is a level six felony. Is being a, doesn't being a knucklehead get you there? No, you have to knowingly and intentionally do something. So the facts that do or don't come out on this that are going to be really interesting to see, or what the evidence is going to be on how the gun was stored, how the kid got a hold of it. And what the guy did or didn't do that may have knowingly or intentionally exposed the child to a dangerous condition that threatens the child. That, that is fascinating to me. And by the way, my comments on whether or not this guy's guilty of a felony should not be taken in any way, shape, or form as excusing the unsafe storage of a firearm or unsafe handling of a firearm. Never, ever. But whether you're a knucklehead, whether you were negligent, whether you were irresponsible, whether you violated basic rules of gun safety are fundamentally different than whether you committed a felony that can send you to prison. And that's a very important point. For instance, in, in the gun safety classes that I've been teaching for uh, almost 30 years. A lot of times early on, I, and, I, and I've adapted this dramatically, but a lot of times we taught the NRA basic pistol class. I got certified originally as an NRA instructor. And there are the NRA rules of gun handling, safe gun handling, and then there are the NRA rules for using and storing a firearm, kind of two separate sets of rules. And we go through all of them. And one of the fundamental rules on using and storing is you always store firearms so they are inaccessible to untrained or unauthorized individuals. I mean, that's a short sentence, unauthorized or untrained. So you store firearms so they are inaccessible. Does that mean they always have to be locked up? Not necessarily, if no one who's untrained or unauthorized has access an exception could very well be someone who is trained or is authorized. Could that be a child in your home? Someone under 18? Certainly. I mean, I, and that's why some of these quote-unquote safe storage laws that we've seen, including this year in the General Assembly, some of the laws I've seen introduced in the General Assembly on so-called safe storage. And one of these bills was motivated by the Noblesville Middle School shooting here a few years ago, where a middle school student actually found his dad's key to his gun safe. Guns were locked up in a gun safe. Kid found the key, unlocked the gun safe, took guns out of the gun safe, took guns to school, committed a shooting. Beautiful, lovely little girl shot multiple times. By the grace of God, survived. 
a, a heroic, incredibly heroic teacher who confronted this guy, took him on, took guns away from him, also got shot a couple of times. And thanks to the heroism of that, of that teacher, an incredible number of lives were saved, I'm sure. Question then becomes, should that parent be prosecuted for something? The parent had the gun locked, guns locked up in a gun safe. Kid found the key. Could that be neglect? Of course not. Didn't knowingly or intentionally do anything to endanger a child? You got a middle school kid, you lock your guns up in a gun safe? That's what we tell people to do. Well, he didn't store the key so the kid couldn't find it. Okay. Kids find stuff. Hell, I knew what I was getting for Christmas every year from second grade through high school. Because if there's something in my house, including my Christmas present, I'm going to find it. Even as a little kid. Oh, well, I, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to store stuff up on the top shelf where a kid can't reach it. Hey, kids climb stuff. I could stack kitchen chairs or whatever else it took to search anywhere I needed to search in my house. And your kids can too. You did too when you were a kid. But the question comes back, because kids are industrious, kids are smart, kids figure things out, kids watch their parents when the parents don't know they're being washed. If a kid figures out where your key to a gun safe is, and gets into your gun safe, should you be convicted of a crime? Because people use that tragedy. I said, well, clearly we need a law. See, that, 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 that's the knee-jerk reaction. That's what we got going on in the General Assembly again this year. Oh, well, we, clearly we need a law. Something bad happened like the FedEx shooting. Something horrific like the FedEx shooting. Well, uh, something bad happened. We need a law. Well, we have a law. It's called the red flag law. And however you feel about red flag laws, and I've worked really hard to dramatically improve that law over the last several years. I helped rewrite it in 2019, and it is dramatically better than it ever was before. Since 2005, when it passed, it was ridiculously overbroad, caught people within the definition of dangerous who were not dangerous. But it's a hell of a lot better than it ever used to be. Well, now we're going to take a dramatic step backward because, ah, we got to pass a law because the FedEx shooting happened, as opposed to looking at, oh, say, a prosecutor who never filed the red flag proceeding to begin with. Well, that's what's going on with safe storage. That's what happened with the Noblesville Middle School shooting. We had people you know, writing bills, taking bills down. Hell, I had a re former Republican senator come meet me in my office with some people from a Noblesville group who were pushing for gun control. Who said, well, gosh, guy, you know, this kid got a hold of this gun. Seems like we should have a state safe storage law. Do you know how a lot of those are written? You know what? We're a little past the bottom of the hour. I'm going to take a break here. We'll come back. We'll pick up that, that step. How does a safe storage law work? Why are they ridiculously overly broad? And why do they treat everybody like an irresponsible deadbeat, irrespective of whether you're actually a safe and responsible gun owner? That's what happens when you have a knee-jerk reaction, and every time something bad happens, think you need to run into the General Assembly and pass a law. Get more into that and take your calls and questions. And when we come back, give us a call, 317-239-9393. That's 317-239-9393. This is Guy Relford on The Gun Guy Show on 93WIBC. 
Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. And welcome back. I'm Guy Relford on the Gun Guy Show on 93 WIBC. So we're talking a little bit about kids and guns because we had this Ridiculous, frankly embarrassing, to the extent that this guy's a gun owner. This is embarrassing. As gun owners, we ought to be upset. You know, a lot of times I, I catch heat. I'll be here on the radio or I'll be on social media and I'll be criticizing some knucklehead who did something stupid with a gun. And every now and then I'll get a comment. I'll get a comment on social media or I'll get a message uh, to my law office, whatever it might be. And they'll say, wow, guy, you know, you're supposed to be an advocate for gun owners. And you really went after that guy who did whatever knuckleheaded thing I was talking about with a gun. And let me be very clear and very emphatic. To the extent that we as the gun-owning community are not safe and responsible. To the extent that we do knuckleheaded things with guns. You know what we are doing? We are inviting. We are begging for people to say, aha, you see, those idiots can't be responsible. They can't be trusted. They can't be safe. So we got to f- create a law. We got to file a bill. We got to get the legislature to act. We got to put people in jail. We got to limit Second Amendment rights because these people can't be trusted with guns. They need Big Brother standing over their shoulder telling them how to be responsible with firearms under penalty of criminal prosecution. We invite that. We're asking for that. We're begging for that. When the member of the gun-owning community is a knucklehead. And look, are people going to be knuckleheads? Yes. Are people going to do dumb things? Yeah. In all walks of life, hey, I get it. But what we ought to do as a community is we ought to be focused on education. We gotta be focused on responsibility. We gotta be focused on training. We gotta be focused on making sure that we're as safe and responsible as we can be as gun owners for two reasons and more. One is because we don't want bad things to happen. We don't want innocent people to get hurt. We don't want innocent children to be endangered. We don't want bad things to happen with our firearms or anyone else's firearms. So just as a matter of being good citizens. We don't want bad things to happen. But going the next step and beyond public safety, we also want to preserve and protect our Second Amendment rights. And if you do something knuckleheaded with a gun, you're jeopardizing my Second Amendment rights. And I will be as harsh as anyone, Second Amendment advocated or not, when you're a knucklehead with a gun. And I would expect you to treat me the same way. If you care about your Second Amendment rights, because when I'm a knucklehead, I'm jeopardizing your rights. When some idiot lets a toddler get a hold of his loaded gun and go waving it around in the hallway outside his apartment, pulling the trigger, that jeopardizes my rights. Should that guy go to jail? We'll let the criminal justice system figure that out. I don't know how the kid got a hold of the gun. I don't know how the gun was stored. I don't know whether it meets any of the standards for a crime. 
one thing I never like to do, and I always resent when I see other people doing it, is assume they know all the facts. A bad thing happened, kid got a hold of a gun. Is that a bad thing? Very. Loaded gun, yes. Pointed at his own face, pulled the trigger. Extremely bad. Horrific. I don't know how it happened, so I won't draw too many conclusions. But something bad happened. And we're all ready. And I, I had two different legislators call me this past week. Well, guy, you know, I've even got some Republicans looking at a safe storage law because we got this thing in Beach Grove. There you go. Guy was an idiot. Guy was a knucklehead. Kid got a hold of the gun. Now people want to impose a safe storage law on me. Now let's talk about that. People say, well, God, there's nothing wrong with safe storage. My God, you're being a hypocrite because you just discussed how, what you teach in your class. Guns should be stored so they're inaccessible to unauthorized or untrained people. All we're doing is we're going to say the state of Indiana is going to hold people to the same standard. How could you possibly oppose that without being a hypocrite? I'll tell you exactly why. Because who's unauthorized and who's untrained is a case-by-case analysis. And and it's incredibly hard to pass a statute that's that's going to treat people fairly and appropriately if you just assume everyone, for instance who's under 18, is neither trained nor authorized. And I've seen that bill. I've seen that bill proposed to me. Again, I had a former state senator show up in my office because he was being urged by his constituents in Noblesville, saying, guy, we need a safe storage law. I mean, gosh, you teach gun safety. Why would you oppose this? And I read the bill, and you know what it said? It it said that if I, okay, let's, let's, let's apply this to me. If I have a gun on my nightstand... Okay, and when I and and while I'm in my home with that gun on my nightstand, if my 17 year old granddaughter is in my house, who by the way could teach gun safety classes, who is an incredibly good shot, who is an absolutely thousand percent safe and responsible gun owner, gun handler herself, if she's under my roof, being under 18 years old, while I have that gun on my nightstand. Even though I would want her to have access to that gun, I get there's a break in. I want her to be able to have the capacity to defend herself. Could she do that safely and effectively? A thousand percent. But since she's under 18 and I've got a gun on my nightstand, I go to jail under a so called safe storage law, as I've seen them over and over. Does that make any sense to you? And that's an extreme example of someone 17. I've, I've shot sporting clays, and I'm a pretty good sporting clay shooter. I shoot competitively. I work my way up through the classes pretty darn fast in only a couple of years, and I'm competitive. I'll go shoot sporting clays with anybody, and I'll hold my own. I've had my ass kicked by a 14-year-old on the sporting clay course. I mean whipped. Who was a 1,000% safe, a 1,000% responsible. That same 14-year-old, and a, let's say a couple of them, come over. I invite them and their parents over to my house after a sporting clay tournament. And I put my sporting clay shotgun in the corner before I put it in my safe. we just been shooting sporting clay shotguns all afternoon. The kid handled his own shotgun all afternoon. Did great. Outshot me, shot, outshot most of the people there. But because my shotgun's in the corner... After he walks into my house, I'm committing a crime because he's 14 
and my gun's not quote unquote safely stored, it's not locked up, disassembled or 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 had a trigger lock put on it, that's how a lot of them are written. Is that okay? Is that a good law? Is that a reasonable response to the Noblesville Middle School shooting? Because that's what we had to fight off here a few years ago. Well, that kid got a hold of that gun. We need a law. The dad had the guns in a safe. What law are you going to pass? And would that father have violated whatever law you want to pass because he had his guns in a safe and the kid just found the key? It's ridiculous. But that's what they want to do to us. But all this starts, and I'll end this segment with this point, all that starts when we're knuckleheads as gun owners, when we're idiots. And I'm not accusing the family in Noblesville of that at all. I'm talking about the guy in Beach Grove. Because now what do we got? We got more safe storage laws. I guarantee you right now they're looking for an opportunity to get one passed this year. And, and when we go have that hearing, if it gets a hearing, or even in discussions in the hallway or, 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 or during the week before whatever chairman it might be decides to give it a hearing, that's the conversation we're going to have. Well, guy, you know, that kid in Beach Grove, we all saw the video. We need a law. That's what we're inviting. We need to police ourselves or we're inviting Big Brother to do it for us. And that's never a good alternative. That's only going to limit your freedom. It's going to limit my Second Amendment rights. It's going to limit all of our ability to exercise our constitutional freedoms to the full extent we should. Pardon the soapbox, but I couldn't be more passionate about that point. Right now, we're a little over the three-quarter uh, our segment, so we're taking a break. We'll continue to take your calls. Got some people on hold right now. 317 239 9393. We're back for a pretty short segment, uh, but we'll be back here in just a bit. This is Guy Relford on the Gun Guy Show on 93 WIBC. And welcome back for what is a very short segment here uh, at the top of the hour. But uh, we're talking about kids and guns. And I went on a very heartfelt rant about how we need to be responsible generally, not just with respect to children, but obviously that's a priority because as a society, our number one priority, my goodness, ought to be keeping our children safe. But what we're going to get into, and we'll we'll get into this a little bit after the the break at the top of the hour as well, is what are the laws separate and apart? This guy's guy's uh, accused of, he's been charged with dangerous control of a firearm. And neglect. I talk about neglect. Neglect is knowingly or intentionally placing a child in a situation that endangers the life or health of the child. Okay. We don't know what the guy did as far as where he stored the gun. We don't know exactly what he did. All we know is the result, which is the kid ended up with a gun. Did he knowingly or intentionally do something that meets that standard? That's what the prosecutor has to prove. But then there's a separate statute. D- dangerous control of a firearm. What does that mean? How do you get accused of that? Because when you start talking about the simple definition of dangerous control of a firearm, it looks like it'd be pretty darn easy to commit. And I'll get into a lot more detail on that here after the top of the hour, but it's a little scary when you simply look at the definition. Because it is essentially providing a firearm to a child who is ineligible to purchase their own firearm from a dealer. Well, if you're not 21, you can't buy a handgun. If you're not 18, you can't buy a long gun. That's pretty much all damn children. 
So aren't we always guilty of this? If we hand a gun to a child, even a gun safety course, that's what we'll get into. Right now, we're coming up on the top of the hour, so we're taking a break. This is Guy Relford on The Gun Guy Show on 93 WIBC. And welcome back for hour number two of The Gun Guy Show here on 93 WIBC. We're thrilled you're with us. And the incident in Beach Grove, where a little kid in a diaper waving a loaded gun around, has uh, prompted a lot of discussion. It's also prompted activity in the state house, and there were already so-called safe storage bills being pushed by Democrats. Now, a couple of Republicans are saying, "Well, gosh, this case might seem to me we need one of these laws." And I talked about why those laws are always dramatically overbroad, overly broad, I should say. Why they want to punish responsible law-abiding gun owners and treat us all like dead, deadbeats, and why they remove any judgment that a parent ought to have or a gun owner ought to have over who should and shouldn't not have access to their firearms. Again, the, the rule I've been teaching for years comes out of the NRA basic pistol course. Firearms should be stored so they're unauth- or excuse me, they're inaccessible to unauthorized or untrained people. Let's talk a little bit about Inaccessible, what does that mean? Because I, I talk to people all the time on this issue, and, and I raise this point in my classes, and I can I can I look around and I'll see people through the looks on their faces. Or couples come together and they look at each other and go, uh-oh, when I raise this point. So what is inaccessible to unauthorized or untrained people? What's inaccessible to me? And I'll always say, it doesn't mean hidden doesn't mean hidden under your underwear in the drawer. Why? Because kids find stuff. If we're talking about kids, kids find stuff. Oh, by the way, we have had cases all across the country here in Indiana where people come home during a break-in. There's a burglar in their home. What are the burglars doing? They're looking for your valuable stuff. They're looking for your jewelry, your cash. If they have time, your appliances. But they love to steal guns as well. Professional burglars know where people store their guns, where they hide their guns. They know it can be hidden under your underwear in the underwear drawer. You walk in during a break-in. The bad guy has just discovered your gun in your underwear drawer. You have now just potentially transitioned your burglar into your murderer because you armed them. Think that doesn't happen? It absolutely happens. I've talked to people directly that happened to. In fact, we I had one situation. A guy came and took my class. A guy came in and he was still walking with a cane. He'd spent months in the hospital. This is when I was still running Eagle Creek Pistol Range before Mayor Joe kicked us out of there about seven years ago. Because, of course, taxpayers only get to pay for the range. We don't get to actually use it according to Mayor Joe. But while I was still running my company, Tactical Firearms Training, we were still running the range. I had a guy show up. He's walking with a cane. He's obviously in some discomfort. But he had a big smile on his face. I said, man, welcome to Eagle Creek. You know, I gave him a safety briefing. And he goes, oh, man, I'm just happy to be here. I haven't shot a gun in a long time. Long time, I didn't think I was going to make it. Well, man, and I was thinking car wreck is probably what happened. And I didn't want to. I didn't want to pry, but 
he volunteered. He said, yeah, in fact, you need to hear this story. This is something you should probably share in your classes. And I have been sharing this story you're about to hear for decades in my classes. Well, that was probably seven or eight years ago, six, seven years ago, so I've been sharing it that long anyway. On the general concept I've been teaching for decades, which is how to store your firearms responsibly and safely. But he said that he came home for lunch one day, where he didn't typically come home for lunch, but he came home for lunch and he because he had a new puppy that he wanted to come home and let out. And, when he, and he parked where he always parks, which is behind his house. He had a kind of a wraparound driveway. And when he parked there behind his house, he immediately saw that his rear door was ajar. And he said, man, guy, I didn't call 911. I didn't even take my phone. I actually had a gun in the car. I didn't even take my gun. I immediately thought kids. Kids have broken in my house. They're in there looking for money or a game console or whatever. And I was going to run in there. I was going to catch these kids because we got some some ne'er-do-well kids in the neighborhood. I'm showing my age, ne'er-do-well. So I was running in there. I think I'm going to catch these kids. And when I came through the back door, I opened the door, and I went charging through the kitchen. And as I looked up, there's a man standing in my kitchen, and he's pointing a firearm at me, a loaded firearm. I could tell it was loaded because it was a revolver, and I could see through the chambers of the cylinder that it was loaded, and plus I knew it was loaded because as I saw the gun, I immediately realized that was my 357 Magnum. So the guy's pointing the gun at me. He orders me onto the ground. He, he goes to leave. He goes, the man st- was going to step over me as he's leaving and literally said, sorry, and shot me three times in the back with a 357 Magnum. It's a story I heard firsthand. And incredibly, man survived, but he spent a long time in the hospital, lost his spleen, had multiple major surgeries, but he's on the road to recovery. But they actually caught this guy. They they caught him trying to fence some of the stuff he'd stolen. It was already loaded up in his truck. And they, they caught him with some other stuff he'd stolen from the same neighborhood on the same day. Then they arrest this guy. And according to the police, as they reported back to the victim that I was talking to, this guy is a professional burglar. And it's how he makes a living. He's been to jail three or four times, gets out of jail, goes right back to doing what he does, because that's how he makes a living. And he told the police, he goes, oh, yeah, because, I mean, cops knew this guy. That's a longtime area burglar. He goes, oh, yeah, when I when I break into a house like this one, I saw there were signs of young kids in the house. There was a, you know, there were toys, there was a crib. So I knew there were I knew there were young kids in the house. And when kids have young when parents rather have young kids, they store their guns up, usually up high somewhere where the kids can't get to them. He said the first place I looked was on top of an armoire in the bedroom and found the loaded 357 Magnum. So however old these kids are, maybe they don't find that loaded 357 on top of the armoire, but the bad guy did. And a gentleman almost lost his life. So what's inaccessible mean? Generally, it means locked up. 
When I leave the house, I'm no longer there controlling my house. Where are my guns? My guns are locked up. I don't want somebody breaking into my house. Now, I've got I've got a dog. She may not be the greatest guard dog in the world, but I've got a dog. <laughs> got a security system. But I still make sure my guns are locked up. Why? Because I'm storing my guns so they're inaccessible. Can you have a quick access? People say, oh, I can't lock my guns up because then I won't, they won't have them available to me if I have a break-in. Hey, there are quick access gun, safe, gun safes. And I got to tell you, I did not trust this technology because it wasn't trustworthy when it first came out. But the fingerprint safes where you, you program your fingerprints into them, that technology has come light years. In just the last few years, it is much more reliable than it ever was. And they have key backup systems. They have touchpad systems. You have a touchpad combination as a backup to your to your fingerprint, opening it up. You just set your fingerprint over the sensor. It's spring-loaded door. Door locks up. Boom, there's your gun. It takes seconds. Literally, I did this on TV a few years ago. I demonstrated it. How fast it was. Seconds. Hell, if I'm woken up in the middle of the night by somebody breaking in, it's going to take me a couple of seconds to be awake enough to where I want to be handling a gun to begin with. That's about the right amount of time to get my gun safe open. You can balance security and accessibility. You absolutely can. And that's what we need to do. Now, if everybody in your house is trained, everybody's authorized, make your own decisions. And that's why laws are stupid. That's why general rules that don't account for the responsibility and the judgment of individuals are stupid laws. But that's where we are. We'll come back now to the point that what young Mr. Osborne was charged with, dangerous control of a child, excuse me, dangerous control of a firearm, dangerous control of a firearm. And I'll I'll read you the first couple of lines of what this law is. It makes it a crime, get this, An adult who knowingly or intentionally provides a firearm to a child whom the adult knows, and the first one is, ineligible for any reason to purchase or otherwise receive from a dealer a firearm. Children can't buy guns from dealers. That applies to every child. So are you always guilty of that crime if you take your kid hunting who's under 18? If you take your kid to the range, the, the 14-year-old who whipped my butt out on the sporting clay course, was he committing a crime? Whoever gave him that gun, were they committing a crime because he couldn't buy that shotgun from a dealer? That's what we'll get into when we come back and continue to take your calls. We've had a number of people call in, ask some good questions. Um, and in fact, producer Carl's recorded a couple of questions here that I'll try to get to. Uh, but give us a call, 317-239-9393. This so is Guy Relford on The Gun Guy Show on 93WIBC. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. And welcome back for the next segment of the Gun Guy Show on 93 WIBC. Glad to have you with us. And we're talking about children and guns, but in the meantime, <laughs> we've had Anne has called in. Uh, with a question, so let's go to the phone lines. Anne, welcome to the Gun Guy Show. Well, thank you for taking my call. Sure. Um, I just like to make a couple statements first, and then ask a question. Sure. My 
family has literally been hunting in this country for 400 years because one of my way-back cousins was the first governor of the Plymouth Mayflower Colony. Awesome. And that's how they got meat for their family. You know, they're all mostly poor. So you go out hunting. And uh, and I used to be part owner of a large hunting camp down in southern Indiana. And I was caught, taught gun safety when I was six years old mm-hmm. because I grew up in the cattle country of western Nebraska. You know, there's guns all over the place out there. Mm-hmm. And, well, and let's get to your question. You had a question? Okay. What is the very first gun safety question? I mean, <laughs> um, I mean, the very first. Well, you, you know, you know, I wrote so a book on this. People who right? hunt all the time, yeah, and the guns are out, like hunting marksmanship. This is for guns that are out. Yeah, well, yeah, the the the, the four the rules that rule I the, is, the four rules that I teach and uh, that uh, are very similar to the NRA rules. Uh, but the four rules that I've been teaching for a long, long time start with uh, treat every gun as as if it's loaded. Always. And every, and every one of the rules always start with always. Always treat every gun as if it's loaded. That's rule number one. Uh, rule number two is you always keep the gun pointed in a safe direction. Pointed in a safe direction means the gun's not pointed at anything you're not willing to shoot or destroy. Rule number three is always keep your finger off the trigger until you're on target ready to shoot. And again, these always start with always, no exceptions. Well, you know, if we get time today, if not, we'll come back next week, talk about Alec Baldwin. He's been charged with involuntary manslaughter. You know, is he guilty of that crime? Well, that's going to be up to the criminal justice system. But there's no question he violated multiple rules of gun safety. And when you look at the involuntary manslaughter statute in New Mexico that he's being prosecuted under, you know, violating known, basic, obvious rules of gun safety can get you there. And we'll get more into that at another time. But uh, those are the first three. The fourth one is always know your target and anything aligned with your target. A lot of times people say, know your target and what's behind your target. Well, what about know your target and what's between you and your target? So I've expanded that and to say, yeah, anything in front of or behind your target, you may miss. Your bullet, like if you're shooting at a, a paper target on cardboard, which a lot of us do a lot of places, obviously a bullet's hard, hard, hard slow down, hard, barely slow down, if at all. So you, And even shooting, even in hunting, you can have a pass-through. So the four rules of gun safety to answer Ann's question, and yes, Ann, I do know those. I, I wrote a book on it. <laughs> but, but the four are always treat every gun as if it's loaded, always keep the gun pointed in a safe direction, always keep your finger off the trigger until you're on target ready to shoot, and always know your target and what is aligned with your target. So we appreciate you calling, and thanks for your long history in this country and a long history of uh, exercising your Second Amendment rights with you and your family. We love that, and we hope you call back. Um, Let's go to the phone. We've got a couple of people want to call and talk about pistol braces. I'll tell you what, Joe and Shane, if you don't mind, you guys hang on just a few minutes uh, because we're going to uh, get through this discussion a little bit uh, on what charges uh, this gentleman, Shane O'Brien, is being charged with after this incident in Beach Grove. But here, starting the next segment, uh, we can uh, 
get in and answer some of your questions about pistol braces. I opened the show with a little explanation of what that issue is. I know a lot of people uh, are, are concerned and have questions, as they should, uh, because this is not only a dramatic about face, it's a 180 in terms of what ATF's been saying on pistol braces since 2012, so for over 10 years. It also has the capacity to land people in jail who have no intent to commit a crime. So we'll, we'll, we'll pick up the pistol brace discussion. If you guys wouldn't mind hanging out just for a few minutes till after this next break. In the meantime, let's talk about the crime of dangerous control of a firearm because it's literally defined. I mean, I, I read it. An adult who knowingly or intentionally provides a firearm to a child whom the adult knows is ineligible for any reason to purchase or otherwise receive a gun from a dealer. Well, no child can buy a gun from a dealer, so it applies every time you give a gun a child or excuse, give a gun to a child. By the way, it also goes on to say, or if you know the child intends to use the firearm to commit a crime, well, that makes sense. So, so as someone who has handed kids guns a million and one times in my life, as a parent, as a grandparent, and certainly as an instructor who's taught thousands and thousands and thousands of kids. Have I ever handed a kid a gun? Yes. Did I commit that crime? No, and here's why. Because the very first section of the law that we're talking about talks about exclusions. And when the law of dangerous possession of a firearm does not apply so that you can provide firearms to children, my goodness, how do you ever teach firearm safety if a kid can't handle a gun? And how's a kid going to handle the gun if you store them safely, but you can't, excuse me, you can't give the kid a gun. Okay. And I'm talking about supervised. And that's what the statute accounts for. And then that's why the, the, the statute, if you want to look this up, it's Indiana Code 35-47-10-1. And it starts right off the bat, this chapter does not, or excuse me, this section of this chapter does not apply to the following. And then it's got a whole big long list of exceptions to where you can legally in Indiana provide, that's the verb, provide a gun to someone under 18. And that includes a child who is attending a hunter safety course or a firearm safety course or it also as to an adult who is supervising that child during the course. So there you go. That right there covers me and all those literally for thousands of people I've taught how to shoot, including kids under 18. Goes on to say a child who is attending a hunter safety course or a firearm safety course or an adult who is supervising the course. The statute doesn't apply. A child engaged in practicing and using a firearm for target shooting at an established range or in an area where the discharge of the firearm is not prohibited or supervised and supervised, I should say, by a qualified firearms instructor or an adult who is supervising the child while the child is at the range. There you go. When, when we ran Eagle Creek, did we have a minimum age you had to be to shoot at the firing range? No. But when people came in with younger children, did my range safety officers, who are all trained and certified as range safety officers, by the way, I know because I trained them and I certified them, we'd 
we'd walk up a little closer. We'd stand right there, make sure all the supervision's being done appropriately. The child was going to be safe handling that gun. But a child can shoot at an established shooting range when they're being supervised. A child engaged in an organized competition involving the use of firearms or participating in a, in, in a practice for the performance at an organized group for a nonprofit. I'm paraphrasing a little bit. So uh, Boy Scouts used to come out, and I used to provide the range free of charge. I wouldn't, I wouldn't charge them a rental. They'd come out because Boy Scouts could come out and get a merit badge. Is that okay? Yes. The Appleseed Program and, and other 501C nonprofit organizations that have competitions for kids. Can kids possess guns during those competitions? 100%. It's right in the statute. A child who is hunting or trapping under a valid license can possess a firearm and, it, and you don't commit a crime by providing a gun to a child in that situation. A child who's traveling with an unloaded firearm to or from an activity described in this section. There you go. A child who is on real property that is under the control of the child's parent or adult family member of the child or the child's legal guardian and has permission from the child's parent or legal guardian to possess the firearm. A child who is at the child's residence and has the permission of the child's parent an adult family member of the child or the, or the child's legal guardian to possess a firearm. So there you go right there. The statute is saying that it's okay for a child at their legal residence, and let's say their legal residence is my legal residence, can I give permission for that child based on that child's maturity, their training level, their experience? Can I allow them to have access at their home which also happens to be my home, and do that legally. Yes, it's right in the statute. Isn't that completely inconsistent with the idea of these safe storage laws that we keep saying that would put me in jail for doing exactly that? Oh, no, there's someone under 18 in your home, guy, and you don't have that gun locked up. I'm sorry. The statute says specifically that it's legally allowed for me to do just that. Now I'm going to pass a different law that would put me in jail. And so that's a, a bit of a summary, and I'm not doing a complete deep drill. But yes, you can allow children to have firearms under specific circumstances. You can do that legally. You can do it responsibly. What's it come down to? Training, experience, supervision. And that's something I couldn't be more passionate about. In the meantime, we're a little past the bottom of the hour. We'll switch gears. We'll go to the phone lines. People do have questions about pistol braces. We'll go to that. Uh, oh, by the way, I did have a caller that called in, talked to producer Carl, and talking about the Beach Grove situation, and, and Shane Osborne, I believe his name is, who was uh, a gentleman who is now being prosecuted, who said, by the way, did you hear the guy's a felon, so he couldn't possess a gun at all? That's exactly right. I looked that up. And in the record I found, the guy has a felony theft conviction from 2001, I believe, in Montgomery County. If you have any felony conviction, there's a lot of confusion on this. If you have any felony conviction, okay, under federal law, you can't possess a gun at all. Period. End of story. If the feds get a hold of you, you're looking at potentially 10 years in federal prison. That's a big deal. In Indiana to be prosecuted under Indiana law, the law is a little different, and it's a little more narrow. 
in terms of what felons can't possess firearms, but it doesn't much matter because the feds can still prosecute you and put you in federal prison for 10 years. And with that, we're taking a break. We'll be right back. This is Guy Relford on The Gun Guy Show on 93 WIBC. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. And welcome back. Sky Relford on the Gun Guy Show on 93 WIBC. We're glad you're with us. We've had some folks call in about the new rule on pistol braces, which I set up a little bit at the top of the show. Let's go right to the phone lines, and Joe is on the phone. Joe, welcome to the Gun Guy Show. Thanks, Guy. I appreciate sure, you taking my call. Sure, man. Um, I'm new to the AR part of it. Um, when, If I remember right, when pistols first came out, AR pistols were first introduced, they didn't have any kind of stock on them at all. It was just a straight spring tube. Yeah, the buffer the tube. Back. Exactly right. The buffer tube, right. Now, is that still going to constitute an SBR if it doesn't have the, the brace on it, or is it still a registrable gun yeah no it's um that's a great question joe and that's addressed in the final rule what it says is um that if something is necessary um for the the gun to cycle it's necessary to the function of the cycling of the firearm and it hasn't been enhanced in any way to facilitate shouldering then that's okay, and it doesn't make it an SBR. So a standard six, six-and-a-half-inch buffer tube on an AR uh, is not going to make your gun an SBR alone. Now, they're still looking at other factors. If you put an optic on your gun that uh, has uh, eye relief that pretty much makes you put the gun to your shoulder uh, and doesn't allow you to shoot the gun one-handed, they can go, aha, and that's another factor they mention in there. If you add any material or you lengthen the buffer tube to facilitate shouldering, aha, that can get you to an SBR. So they're, they're not looking at those things alone, but the, the mere buffer tube, a standard buffer tube that hasn't been lengthened or material added to facilitate shouldering is not going to make your gun an SBR, according to the, the final rule. Let's go back to the phone lines. And Shane, Shane, welcome to the Gun Guy Show, buddy. Hey, Mr. Relford, thanks for having me on. Sure. Uh, scenario, if you say you're a person that may have a couple uh, braces, and I agree, I hear the idea of the free tax stamp right now for the next, what, right. 80 days? Which sounds like a yeah, it's 120 idea. days from when the rule is published in the Federal Register, which hadn't happened, I think, as of this morning. So, yeah, 120 right. days you can register it for free which, if you want to register an SBR. Like which sounds like a great idea because I had to get my tax stamp for my suppressor. My question, though, is, and obviously I've never been declined on anything, thank God. But what if you would get declined then? Now you're a felony for something you have in your closet. Yeah, and it's a great question, Shane. And Gun Owners of America put a video out on YouTube, and uh, they were at a SHOT Show in Vegas. And, and I've, I've had about 10,000 people send me this video asking me what I think about it. Because what they're saying is, is by the way, if you just get caught up in a long del delay, I think it's 88 days, you can get automatically 
denied your stamp just because it took too long to process your background check. People and gun owners of America said, aha, this is all an evil scheme because they know thousands, if not millions of people are going to get denied. They've admitted they have an SBR, which is why they send in their application for a free stamp. So now the ATF is going to go round all these people up and put them in prison. That is a legitimate concern, but for a couple of other factors. First of all, the ATF's committed to no enforcement for 120 days. They also said that you can make your gun not an SBR and not be subject to any prosecution before or after the final rule um, and before or after the 120-day grace period by simply taking the pistol brace off of it. Now, they say permanently remove it or modify the brace so it can't be reattached. Okay. Or by putting a 16-plus-inch barrel on your gun. Well, now, either way, without the brace on it or with a 16-inch barrel, now it's not an SBR anymore. So what people can easily do, if you start getting late in the process, you're worried about being denied, just take the brace off. Just you know, let, let your buddy hang on to the brace. Uh, don't have it around. There, there's something called constructive possession that is ridiculous, and they haven't su- su- successfully prosecuted one of these in a long damn time. But anyway, you don't want to have all the parts. But if you just take the brace off of it or put a 16-inch barrel on it, then you're good to go. If they show up at your doorway, well, you were denied your stamp, and you admitted to have an SBR, so we're here to take you away. You say, no, here's my gun. It's got a 16-inch barrel on it. I don't have an SBR. I was asking you for your permission through the application for the stamp to register an SBR, but I don't own an SBR. I don't possess an SBR, and therefore I haven't committed a crime. So you can avoid that problem. I mean, I'm not making any excuses for ATF, and I'm not saying this isn't a ridiculous overreach, but um, you can avoid that problem by simply taking it out of uh, SBR configuration. Uh, let's go to one more time before we take a break. Um, let's go to Shane. Shane, welcome to the Gun Guy Show. Oh, Shane, I think dropped off. Uh, all right, let's go back to the phone lines. And Bob, Bob, welcome to the Gun Guy Show. What can I do for you? Yes, thank you, uh, Guy. Uh, I have uh, two questions. Uh-huh. One is, is, is I bought a Mossberg. Uh, a, sh- a, sh- a shockwave? Uh, yes, yeah, yep. Okay, if anybody doesn't know what that is, a Mossberg shockwave is a, it's technically not a shotgun, at least as they sell them, because it's not designed to be mounted uh, to your shoulder. It's not designed to be fired from the shoulder because it's only got a pistol. Actually, what's called a bird's head grip on it, but it's only a pistol grip. So you couldn't really fire it from your shoulder if you wanted to. At least it would be very painful to do so. Um, and, but it's got a 14-inch barrel. But it's not a it's not a shotgun because it's not designed to be fired from the shoulder. Therefore, it's not a short-barreled shotgun. It's also not what's called an any other weapon because it, it exceeds a certain length. I won't get into that. Uh, but at any rate, I just wanted Bob. I wanted to tell people what a shockwave is so they understand your question. Go ahead. Right. Yeah. Uh, uh, my question is: uh, Does it fall under uh, the new uh, uh, the new regulation where I have to get a federal stamp to own that? Um. Probably not, Bob. And the only reason I equivocate is this. And I actually had some posts out on social media about this. The uh, And I'm assuming, um, and you know what? Let me bring you back. You, you don't have a brace on it, right? You don't have a pistol brace on it? No. Okay. Um, that's important because what the rule says, first of all, it says shotguns don't fall under the new rule in the sense of there being a 120-day grace period and the opportunity to get a free stamp. So it doesn't, it doesn't apply. However, there's language in the rule that says uh, 
that if you have a shockwave, and, and, the, and Remington makes something very similar called Attack 14, it's virtually identical, um, and you put a pistol brace on that, it's a short barrel shotgun. And by the way, I see these. I've seen them in gun stores. I see them at the range. So people have these. People are putting pistol braces on a on a shockwave, this 14-inch pistol grip shotgun. You put a pistol grip on that, it's a short-barreled shotgun. You have no grace period. You have no free stamp. You're talking about 10 years in federal prison. But then it goes on to say, and it's just one sentence, and it says, I think it's on page 23 if anybody wants to look this up. That's off the top of my head. It says, any prior classification by ATF, and it says, of any pistol grip shotgun is no longer uh, valid and any such gun should be resubmitted to ATF for classification. It says any pistol grip shot. It's any pistol grip shotgun. I think they're talking about a, a gun like the Shockwave or the or the Tac 14 that has a a pistol brace on it, um, Bob. But it doesn't say that in this one sentence. That makes me a little nervous. They can't possibly say a shotgun with a mere pistol grip is designed to be fired from the shoulder. That is without a pistol brace on it. It, it, it can't. I mean, it it hurt like hell to put that bird's head grip, pistol grip, right up against your shoulder and pull the trigger. It's clearly not designed to be fired from the shoulder. If it's not designed to be fired from the shoulder, it's not a shotgun. If it's not a shotgun, it can't be a short-barreled shotgun. That's how that works. But I'm a little concerned just because of this one kind of amorphous, ambiguous sentence, but I think they're still talking in the context of the discussion about short-barreled shotguns with pistol braces. So that's the best answer I can give you. But I'll, re- I'll repeat and I'm going way over here, I'll repeat, if you have a shockwave uh, or TAC-14 or any other pistol grip shotgun with a barrel under 18 inches, and you put a pistol brace on that, you've got a short-barreled shotgun, no question. And you're and there's no grace period, there's no free stamp, so you're looking right now, you get caught with that at uh, going to jail for a violation of the NFA, having an unregistered NFA firearm, That's 10 years in the big house. Right now, we're taking a break. We'll be back for a very short segment. When we come back to end the show, this is Guy Relford on The Gun Guy Show on 93 WYBC. And welcome back for a very short segment here to wrap up this week's show. Let me leave you with this on pistol braces for now anyway. And and look, there, there are millions of these. ATF says 3 million. Good owners of America's is 30 to 40, which I'll guarantee you is dramatically inflated. So it's somewhere in between. But there are millions of them. And what are we talking about? We're talking about guns with these braces on them that ATF from 2012 has said are completely legal. Now they've come in and they said, well, we're not banning them. That's the mistake you see out on social media. People say, oh, pistol braces have been banned. No, they haven't. But now the ATF is saying that they're reversing, saying that if you have a pistol brace on your otherwise lawful pistol, you've now converted it to a short-barreled rifle. So you have to register it. And they're going to do us the supreme favor of giving us a free stamp. What is this? It's a registration scheme. It's a forced registration scheme for a particular class of firearms that the left loves to call what? Assault weapons. They're going to add millions of previously unregisterable, or at least where you didn't have to register them, they're going to add these to the NFA requiring you to register them. 
What is always the goal of a registry? Particularly when we're now talking about cl- class of firearms, which is quote unquote assault weapons. The government gets its nice, long, pretty list of assault weapons as part of this registration. What are they going to do with that list? You know the answer, and I do too. This is this week's show. We hope you come back.